Today we're broadcasting from Berkeley. We're here because it is a pillar of the tech and life sciences startup ecosystem of the greater Silicon Valley. When you think Berkeley, you think innovation and entrepreneurship, and I think startups. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Silicon Valley Lawyer. I'm Louis Lowe, the founder of L2 Council, and today we're going to talk to you about the size of your option pool and option grants. And to help illuminate this topic, I've invited my good friend, Nicole Hatcher, to join us today. Nicole? Thank you, Louis. Um, I am Nicole Hatcher. I am one of the founding partners of Allen & Hatcher. Um, Nicole, I'd love to get your thoughts on option pools at formation. Is there a, 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 a rule of thumb about what size they should be as a percentage of the authorized capital? Yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts as well, Louis. Um, what I'm seeing with my clients is some clients think that they can get away with no option pool at formation. I don't think that that is a good idea. I think you need some option pool in place because early on you're going to want to hire. You don't want to either amend the charter to provide for more shares of common stock that you want to issue or, um, or otherwise take dilution outside of the pool. And there's built-in securities law exemptions. But, so I would definitely say um, set an option pool at formation and I would typically see around 15 to 20%, but let me know what you've been seeing. I always recommend 20% yeah. of your of your auth total authorized equity right. to be set aside for an option pool. Uh, you control at formation how much capital is actually issued, right. and you control the uh, option issuances that are going to be made thereafter. Um, so sizing a, a, a nice, healthy, large pool that's going to uh, be, be sufficient to take you through the early stage, seed stage, and, and then uh, A round, I think is is really helpful uh, and in, in reducing cost. Yeah, and so what do you see, what kind of option pools do you see at an A round? Um, I, I typically advise my clients, both entrepreneurs and investors, to make sure that um, in between the A and the B round, that, that they have reserved enough equity to fill the hiring plan uh, mm -hmm. that's going to be required between the A and the B, mm -hmm. um, which is sometimes a two-year period. And so, you know, if you know you're going to be having to bring on a chief marketing officer or a VP of engineering if you don't already have one, uh, or, or, or a, a group of data scientists, um, I, I want to make sure that all of those people have uh, enough equity, and then I want a little bit of cushion in case I want to make, I want to dig deep for some really great hire. Yeah. Or if there's an acquisition that I'm thinking thinking about um, that, that might require some uh, incentives for employees. And so um, I, I, I think that you should tailor it to the size of, of um, equity that you're going to need in between the rounds. Really? So what would you say, I know some of our founders, you know, it, when they're negotiating their term sheet with a venture investor, they want a smaller option pool because it means less dilution for the existing holders and the investors gener generally like a larger pool. What would you say to a founder when thinking about negotiating that or thinking about the size of the, the option pool when they're negotiating with their investor? Um, I, I think there's a lot of give and take and there are a lot of levers of value to press on in a, in a term sheet negotiation. Mm -hmm. and, and what I 
always remind my founders is that um, they're eligible to receive option yeah. grants from the pool. Yeah. And if uh, the option pool is not used in between the A and B, then you know maybe they can top themselves up uh, in exchange for you know perhaps giving on some other points. Uh, and, and so I don't think it's a, a point that founders and entrepreneurs should fight back on as they always have the ability to uh, receive some of that equity out of the pool, particularly if they're, they're outperforming. Can you tell me a little bit about what you need to prove options or common stock issuances under the plan? So that's a great question. First, you need a plan, uh, an option plan that is approved by the shareholders, um, which we said we can do at formation and then we can amend and restate as we go, or we can adopt a new plan, which is typically named after the year that it's adopted. Um, next, in that plan, there will be a series of appendices for the types of grants uh, that will be granted thereunder. So incentive stock options or ISOs, non-qualified stock options or NSOs. Um, there could be restricted stock units or RSUs. There could be restricted stock awards or RSAs. There could be just stock, right? right? So you want to pick the, the 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 appropriate attachment, which is an an extra, uh, pardon me, an option agreement, right. and have the option optiony uh, sign it, and it should have the vesting conditions set forth therein, and it should have an exercise price um, before you grant that uh, option to the employee, the consultant, or the service provider, and it must be uh, one of those three uh, persons in order to benefit uh, from the appropriate treatment of the tax rules, um, you're going to want to have the board approve the value uh, of the exercise price, okay. which should be granted at fair market value. And uh, there is a safe harbor under the Internal Revenue Code, Section 409A, uh, which says that if you adopt a third-party valuation um, uh, once a year um, and the board approves that valuation, then the board uh, can typically rely on that third-party valuation report. We call it the 409A okay. uh, to, to um, know what the, the fair market value price is. Um, it should be uh, approved at a live board meeting if possible. Uh, that is the best practice. Uh, if if uh, out of out of cycle uh, grants can be made in between board meetings by unanimous written consent, but after the scandals of the mid-2000s and the backdating yeah. issues that occurred where um, uh, the signatures were manipulated to uh, go back in time, uh, we try and always have options granted uh, during live meetings. It isn't a legal requirement, it's yes. just best practice, uh, and that's what I always recommend is that they're granted uh, during those meetings, um, uh, live meetings. Um, and uh, right after that, you would issue uh, the option uh, okay. through CARTA, hopefully, or yes. some uh, uh, cap table management program, as we were talking about in our last video blog, Nicole. Yes. Uh, and. and um, uh, we would want to make sure that we got a signature from that service provider uh, okay. to the option agreement. Okay. Um, last thing is we always want to make sure we know how much uh, equity has been granted under the plan uh, for securities law purposes because we're granting equity uh, to employees under the federal securities laws under Rule 701 yes. of the 1933 Act, and that requires certain disclosures be made uh, to each employee upon grant and at exercise, uh, and, and um, uh, that depends on how, how much disclosure is made, depends on uh, how much equity has been granted yeah. in the last 12 months. So that's really important to be tracking. Okay. Thank you, Louie. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for joining us on our latest episode of Ask a Silicon Valley Lawyer. I'm Louis Lowe. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website at l2council.com.
Yes, and I am Nicole Hatcher. You can find me at Nicole at AllenHatcher.com.